This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. That is the parable of the wicked servant preached on the 22nd Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postles. I'm reading from a translation published in 1884 by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio, a text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but unto seventy times seven Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And we had, when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servants therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. When his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So far the Gospel lesson, Luther's Sermon. The substance of the Gospel for today is stated at the beginning. Peter asked the Lord how to proceed in case his brother has sinned against him, how often he should forgive him, and whether it is enough to forgive him seven times. The Lord answered and said unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but until seventy times seven. That is, among Christians, forgiveness of sins shall have no measure and no end. One shall forgive the other always, and beware of taking revenge. For this belongs to God alone, and His majesty and power we should never interfere with. This parable treats, at some length, the reason for which we will hereafter collect and notice one after another. Here, however, we must notice especially the words of the Lord when he says, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. For the command concerning forgiveness of sins we should never apply to kingdoms of this world, in which offices and persons are not alike, but where one has always power and command over the other. Here malice is not to be tolerated, nor are people to be allowed to do what they please, but misconduct must be punished, and people must be admonished to live honorably and righteously. It is not designed here to teach that a father should forgive his children everything and overlook their rascality. He should punish and forgive nothing. 
So master and mistress and the temporal magistrate should not forgive their servants and subjects their misdemeanor, but punish them. For it is the wicked habit of the world to grow worse and worse the more its transgressions are overlooked. And if children do not want to be trained by father and mother, they must be trained by the executioner who has put an end to their wantonness. Therefore this command does not pertain to the kingdoms of this world, where persons and offices are not alike, as was said before, but to the kingdom of heaven, in which we are all alike, and have but one Lord who is to be enjoyed by all. This kingdom of heaven begins here on earth, and is otherwise called the Christian church on earth, in which God reigns by his word and spirit. In this church, unless a person holds a special office, which is commanded to punish evildoers, we are required to forgive one another, not to take revenge, but to be merciful and kind to our neighbor wherever he is in need, though he might have deserved, according to the language of the world, that we should visit on him all manner of evil. Why the Lord Jesus wants us to forgive, he shows us in the parable concerning the two servants and the king. The first reason is, because our dear Lord wants all his Christians to remember the unbounded grace which he has been showing to them, whilst he would have had great reason to punish them and to send upon them all manner of misfortune. And because we have been enjoying undeserved grace, we should confer the same favor upon our neighbor. This, therefore, is carefully to be heeded. The Lord here shows us the proper way to obtain forgiveness of sins, and tells us very plainly what we are, what God is and does, and what we deserve of Him. By the parable about the servant who owed ten thousand talents, the Lord would teach us our condition before the judgment of God. The word talentum, which is rendered talents in English, is a certain sum of money among the ancients, amounting to about six hundred crowns or dollars. Ten thousand talents, therefore, make an immensely large sum, about six million of crowns or dollars. To such a great amount the Lord compares our sins, in order to show us that we can never remove them, nor render satisfaction for them. For sin has been inherited by us, and we bring it with us from our mother's womb. And the more we grow up and increase in age, the more it makes itself felt, so that we add to the sins inherited from others our own sins also, and thus our debt towards God grows and overwhelms us, as was the case with this servant. But what is the judgment on this servant because of his great debt? It's this, that his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had. Thereby the Lord wants to inform us that we poor sinners are not only unable to pay, but also must suffer death on account of our sins. St. Paul says, the wages of sin is death. God also threatens Adam and Eve in paradise. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. On account of our sins, the law of God pronounces such a severe sentence on us all and delivers us unto death. For if there were no sin, no one would have to die. But what shall we do now? Our debt is obvious, and we cannot deny it. The Lord wants to be paid, but we have nothing to pay it with. It is impossible for us to pay. And to be relieved of this great debt, and to escape death, is the great, noble, and comfortable thing which we should open our ears and hearts to hear, that we might realize and learn it. But this is done only when we do as the Lord says that this servant did. He beholds both his great debt and his inability and punishment. This servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This we call repenting and asking for grace. This the Lord would have us learn if we wish to be delivered from our debt. For whoever would not acknowledge but deny his debt, as the Pharisees do, though they all consider themselves pious and righteous, would only make matters worse. 
But if we acknowledge our sins, we are caught, for we can never pay the debt. It is a dangerous and terrible error to point people to their own works and satisfaction to atone for sin, as is done in popery. The only way is that you acknowledge your debt or sins, and, like the servant, fall down and ask for pardon, praying with the publican, Luke 18, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And yet, you may rejoin, the servant promises to pay all that he owes. He may say what he will, we must contend that it was impossible for him to do it. Hence it appears as if Christ wanted to imitate the condition of our hearts in such cases, namely that we cannot comprehend such rich and unbounded grace. It always appears to us as though it were too much, and as though God would not be so gracious as to forgive all, but would still require something to be paid. It appears to be too much that everything should be forgiven. Such thought our Lord wanted to point out by speaking of the servant who asked for grace, yet at the same time promised to pay all he owed. And it is also true. Whoever desires forgiveness of his sins with all his heart must, must at least have determined not to increase his debt, but to abstain from sin, to repent, and to live a better life in the future. For to ask forgiveness and at the same time to continue in sin and not be willing to abandon it would be mockery. But how will he who thus resorts to the mercy of God and asks for grace find God disposed? He will find him most willing and merciful. Hear what the Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, tells us. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. This shows us the true color with which alone we can properly represent God and his heart. Whoever paints him in other colors does not present him as he really is. To think of God as a severe judge, with whom sinners find no mercy, but of whom they can expect nothing but wrath, is altogether erroneous. This is not the case, though the law teaches nothing else of God, for the law speaks of sinners who do not desire and do not hope for any grace. But those sinners who acknowledge their sins, repent of them, and wish that they had not offended God, who mourn and lament that their lives have been in opposition to God and His commandments, and therefore ask for mercy, shall find mercy, as is here testified. The reason is that God is a merciful God, and has a paternal heart. He has pity on us in our misfortune, and is moved with compassion, as He declares by the prophet, Have I any pleasure in, at all in the wicked, that they should die, saith the Lord God? and not that he should return from his ways and live? Therefore, when he finds you to be desirous of divine grace and to hate sin and abandon it, he will cheerfully forgive your debt and show mercy unto you, as we here learn from the servant who acknowledges his debt and asks for mercy. But as regards the means by which God will be gracious, the gospel informs us of this in other places, namely that the Son of God, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, took pity on poor sinners, took their sins upon himself, and paid their penalty by his death. Whoever now trusts in the Lord Jesus and in his death has gained the good will of God, so that he can neither be angry nor punish, for aside from this he has a heart full of compassion and is moved by our misery. For this reason he, of his own accord, promised, as soon as Adam and Eve had fallen into sin and death, that the devil should be divested of his power by the seed of the woman. This is now our doctrine which we, thank God, have in its purity in our churches, namely, that we have forgiveness of sins and eternal righteousness and eternal life solely by faith in Jesus Christ, that is, by God's grace and mercy. 
This we here learn from the servant who owes so great an amount, but who is released from his debt without merit or works solely by grace, simply because he trusts in grace and asks for it. Therefore it is an erroneous, false, blasphemous doctrine, which is taught by the papists, that when they preach about forgiveness of sins, they point to people involved in a debt which they are able to pay, to their own works, but when we direct people alone to the grace of God in Christ Jesus, they call us errorists and heretics. But take this gospel and judge who accords with it, we who preach about grace, or they who preach about their works and satisfaction. In short, the object of this whole sermon is to teach us that God will pardon us and will accept us freely and solely by grace, forgiving all our debt. Of such grace the Lord reminds us here, that we may follow His example and be kind and gracious one toward another, and not be so strict in our accounts with our neighbors. For thus only we conduct ourselves like Christians, who have experienced grace themselves and are now gracious toward all. This is the first reason which the Lord here urges, teaching, at the same time, that the true way of salvation is to obtain grace and forgiveness of sins. The other reason is that the Lord wants us to consider well the harm and unfair dealing of our neighbor toward us, so that if we weigh well our own debt toward God and the debt of our neighbor toward us, our debt will amount to ten thousand talents, whilst the debt of our neighbor toward us will be but a hundred pence. The fact that God has forgiven us so great a, de a debt will induce us not to be so strict in our small account with our neighbor, but to be reasonable and generous. A denarius, which is rendered pence in the English version, is an old Roman coin valued at about a dime. A hundred such pence compared with ten thousand talents, of which each one amounts to about six hundred dollars, is a very small sum. The Lord, in fact, says, Though you would estimate your loss very highly, on which account you think that you have reason to be angry, what does it amount to? It is not one gilder compared with a hundred thousand which you owe the Lord your God. If then God closed his eyes against your debt, and does not take account of it, how can you be so unmerciful and so hard as to forgive nothing, and to reckon so very closely? Do not do it for God's sake. Put your sins upon a balance, and also the sins of your neighbor, and do the same as your heavenly Father has done in regard to your many sins, and you will be true Christians. The third reason is that in the parable he calls us servants. The same servant, he says, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which he owed him a hundred pence. This also should induce us to abstain from wrath and to be merciful, for we are only fellow servants, and have all one and the same Lord over us, who can punish every one as he deserves. We should leave him undisturbed in his power and right, and not interfere. He will not suffer you to meddle in his office and to do what belongs to him alone. So the Lord says in another place, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. It is an established order of God that he will punish the sinner, and he has for this work not merely the wicked enemy to attack life and property and to do harm in various ways where God permits him, but he also has here upon earth father and mother, master and mistress, and civil government. These all have received the command from God to punish the evildoer. Therefore, whether you are a child or a servant, take heed unto yourself when you are wronged by other children or servants. Be not overcome by wrath and thus induced to take revenge and refuse forgiveness, think, It is my fellow-servant, I have no power over him, I will let him punish who is lord over us both. If he will not do as his office requires, there is one over us all who will not leave the evildoer unpunished. In short, 
All are asked thus to conduct themselves, one toward another, and to abstain from wrath. This is the meaning of the words used by the Lord in the parable, The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. The fourth reason is this. If one will not observe the teaching of the Lord, and will remember neither the inestimable grace of God towards him, nor the small debt of his neighbor, who is his fellow servant, over whom he has no power, but will have his own way, relinquish nothing, but take revenge and punish, what would he be? What would he accomplish by it? Nothing else that, than that such great unreasonableness and unmercifulness would become known. Other Christians will see it, feel very sorry for it, and report all to the Lord. Or, in other words, by such unmercifulness the Holy Ghost is grieved in Christians. They are pained and sigh to God on account of it, and no one has reason to think that such sighing is in vain. For if the Lord would otherwise seem not to know or see, and to be slow in punishment, he would be compelled by the sighing and complaining of these other Christians to inquire into matters and to hasten punishment. For in like manner, as the intercession of pious people is not in vain, so the common curse and complaints against the wicked is not in vain either. Hence the Lord hereby warns us not to despise such common curse, but to be kind and merciful toward our fellow servant, for then we will find Christians who will thank God for such mercy, and wish that God may reward us and do the same unto us. Those are indeed unhappy and wicked people, who despise both the common blessing and the common curse, both of which are effective, and blessings for the pious and curses for the wicked. This is expressed especially when hard times set in. He that withholdeth corn, as is common with the avaricious, until it will bring more money, the people shall curse him. But blessings shall be upon the head of him that selleth it, as Solomon says, Proverbs 11. Both, blessing and cursing, are despised by the wicked, but see whether such curse is in vain, and whether those who make themselves guilty of it are not overtaken by all kinds of misfortune. The Lord here urges us to be careful, and not to occasion our fellow servants to feel grieved, and to come before the Lord and tell what they have seen. For hearken to what follows. The Lord called that wicked servant to appear before him. This is the fifth reason. When you will show no mercy to your neighbor but take revenge and punish, God will not keep silent but will call you to an account. This will be done at the last day. Then the terrible judgment will be executed, which is written, His Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. What then, poor man, have you gained by your wrath? You might have had a merciful God, and all your debt might have been forgiven, if only you had been merciful toward your neighbor and forgiven his offense. Now God will not forgive you either, but be as strict in his account against you as you were in your account against your neighbor. That is a poor bargain, in which you lose ten thousand talents on account of a hundred pence. Yet this parable is very inadequate to represent the misery of being deprived of the forgiveness of sins, so that the soul must remain under the wrath and indignation of God forever. Therefore the Lord concludes, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. He calls us brethren of one another. Among brethren enmity and unkindness is altogether unbecoming, but we are all so frail that it will be impossible for us to live as not at times to offend one another in words and actions. Should we then bite and scratch each other like dogs and cats? No. But we should heartily forgive and ask, Of what should I accuse my brother? 
If God is merciful unto me, and for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, forgives so great a debt, why should I make so much ado about a penny or two? I'll call it square. Forgive and forget, and thank God that he has forgiven me, and made me a partaker of his grace, whilst he has a thousand times more reason to be angry and to punish me than I had to be angry and to punish my neighbor. This is the doctrine which our dear Lord today orders to be preached to his beloved Christians, in order that we may learn to control ourselves, and not to give way to wrath, but that we may settle our debt with our neighbor, and be glad that we succeed in removing both his debt and our own. But alas, we are so slow to yield and suffer ourselves to be led and driven by the devil to wrath, vengeance, and all evils, to our own great injury and loss. For it has been decided, if you are not willing to forgive, neither will God forgive you. If you take revenge, live at enmity and punish, God will also take revenge, be your enemy, and punish you. And a severe wrath and punishment it will be, for God's wrath and punishment will last forever. To this wrath and punishment you expose yourself on account of a small debt to which you have no claim, but which belongs to God, who will surely punish the sins of your fellow servant more severely and more terribly than you can conceive, if you only do not interfere. Thus we also observe that one sin is punished by another sin. To give to vengeance and wrath and contention are led by the devil into such passions that they are unable to pray the Lord's Prayer, for they discover a thorn in it, which will not pass over their lips, inasmuch as a Christian is commanded to pray, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. They very well feel that if God will not forgive them unless they themselves forgive others, their own sins will never be forgiven. Such a judgment they do not want to pronounce on themselves, and would therefore rather not say the Lord's Prayer. Do you not think the devil has them under his control, since they even prefer vengeance to prayer? With the loss of prayer, they lose everything, yea, they make themselves guilty of a twofold disobedience to God. Thus it comes to that such people abstain from the holy sacrament of the body and blood of Christ and rob themselves on account of a small, insignificant, and unreasonable wrath against their neighbor of the highest comfort against sin and an evil conscience. Would it not be a thousand times better to give up all wrath, to suffer wrong, and to be reconciled, than to rob ourselves willfully and wantonly of the grace of God, and to fall under his wrath? Therefore let him whose heart is thus hardened in wrath and hatred take this gospel, consider it well, and ask God to forgive him the sin of having continued so long in hatred against his neighbor, and of having lived a life of wickedness, and let him at once forgive with all his heart, in order that... Th that the sentence and judgment of God may not overtake him, but that he also may obtain forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Savior. May God, our gracious Father in heaven, grant this to us all. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant, preached on the 22nd Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. To hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. And, and we're going to have a great opportunity to study the theology of Luther and his scriptural doctrine when we go and tour around Germany in June 2017. We've got six spots left 
If you're interested in that trip, please visit the website www.wolfmuller.co forward slash Germany. Thanks for listening. God's peace be with you.